are you guys? You all right? Yeah? You alive? You alive? Yay! <laughs> You're not dead. Good. I'm really pleased. Um, awesome. Oh, what an incredible story that was from Jamie. Isn't that amazing? Oh, so encouraging. I, um, I saw him, I think, a couple of days after, he, after he'd been prayed for and walked out of the building pain-free, and, uh, and he had the biggest smile on his face. And he, just, and he said, um, he said, I've just done another, like, two hours at the gym, no pain at all, I've burnt off how many calories, and, uh, yeah, still no pain. I'm like, yay, this is great. Um, oh, God's so good. So, we are going to, oh, thanks, Um, we're going to be uh, spending the next eight weeks or so uh, looking at the book of Colossians in the New Testament part of the Bible, and uh, and in this series we're going to be deep diving into studying what Paul has written verse by verse, we're not leaving any verse out. This is quite a different uh, type of series uh, of talks to what we usually do here at Asher Vineyard. Um, We usually look at themes and uh, and then pull on what the Bible says to strengthen and support what we're saying. So with this kind of series, I would really encourage you to have your Bible with you and, and perhaps even a notebook close by so that you can write down things that you're noticing as you are going along. If, you, if anyone in the room doesn't have a physical paper Bible and would like one, we would love to give you one. So um, head over to the back at the end and someone will help you with that. Um, for those of you at home, if you don't have a Bible, like a physical paper Bible with you, then uh, just pop onto the internet, head to biblegateway.com, type in Colossians 1 in the search bar, and you are there. So... What is the point of studying the Bible? Now, last week, uh, Chris suggested that you write this down. So if you missed last week or you couldn't scribble fast enough, I'm going to give it to you again. The purpose of all Bible study is not to fill our heads with information, but to lead our hearts into transformation. I'll say that again. Oh, there we go. No, never. Uh, (laughs) The purpose of all Bible study is not to fill our heads with information, but it's to lead our hearts into transformation. Information is really helpful. But you can have all the information in the world and it can make absolutely no difference to your life. We are instead looking for revelation, for God to reveal something to us, for God to show us something. Sometimes that can be knowledge, but when it comes from God, it comes with a power to bring about change. As we say around here, this is about heart transformation, not behavior modification. In another uh, letter that Paul writes in the New Testament to the Hebrews, Hebrews 4, he says, God's word is alive and active. So we are looking for what God wants to say to us now and then have that actively work inside of us. We believe that God's word has the power to bring transformation and to change lives. Now, we're talking about like two different words, like 
words of God. So we're talking about the written word that's in the Bible, and that's known as the Logos word of God. And we're also talking about the Rhema word of God, which is his spoken personal word to us, or sometimes called a now word. And often both of those two can combine. So for example, you can read something in the Bible, the Logos word of God, and God uses that to speak to you personally about particular circumstance or situation that you find yourself in, and that's the Rhema word. So if Revelation... God showing us something new is the first place that we start as we come to study the Bible. I think maybe we should pray for that right now. (laughs) All right. Father God, I thank you that your word is alive and active. And we open our hearts to you now. We open our minds to you now. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and show us something new. And Father God, what you show us today, what you reveal to us, we ask you that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would work that in our lives, that we would see the fruit of that outworking in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, when we come to study the Bible, context is everything. So taking into account what we're reading together with the surrounding circumstances, that's what context is. And this is so important, otherwise what ends up happening is, as we read the Bible, uh, we land upon a verse that we like, Uh, it suits our view of God, and we hold on to that without considering the verses surrounding it, or, and let's be honest, sometimes we just ignore the verses surrounding it because we don't like them, (laughs) or we don't understand them. We've all done it, right? Um, So some questions that um, are good to consider in order to help give some context uh, to what you're reading is uh, questions like, who are they writing to? Why are they writing? Uh, When was it written? What's its purpose? What are the themes that are are in this, in in what we're reading? So um, let's recap a little bit of the context uh, surrounding this letter to the Colossians now. So I'm going to bring up my maps. Here you go. All right, so the town of Colossae was in modern-day Turkey. Uh, It had Ephesus about 120 miles off to the west, which is important in the context of this letter, as we'll uh, cover in a moment. It was destroyed in an earthquake in uh, around 60 AD, and it was rebuilt after that, but it eventually fell into disrepair somewhere around or between 400 and 1100 AD. Um, many of its inhabitants ended up moving to the surrounding towns nearby. So now, as you can see in the picture at the top, it is just a pile of stones. So why is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. So a Colossian man called uh, Epaphras, who, was, who likely hung out with Paul while Paul was in Ephesus planting a church there, uh, had taken the gospel to Colossae, which resulted in the birth of the Colossian church. So at the time of Paul's writing to the Colossian church, Paul is in prison in Rome 
And Epaphras had visited him and shared everything that was happening in Colossae, all of the good and all of the challenges. So the theme of this book is about the all-sufficiency of Jesus, the enoughness of Jesus. Um, And uh, there is an indication in Paul's writing in this letter that Epaphras had discussed with him uh, some heretical teaching that was threatening the church there, and we'll touch on what some of those heresies might have been in the the coming weeks. So Paul decides to write a letter in around 60 AD to encourage the church, as well as just to help steer them around some of the things that they were starting to believe and bring them back to being aligned with God's truth. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, I only noticed this this week as I was preparing, that it's really interesting to note the closeness in dates between Paul writing and the earthquake that destroyed the town. And there might be some relevance in that, which we'll touch upon in a bit. So the theme of these verses, I'd probably use three words to sum them up. So we're looking at verses 9 to 14 today in chapter 1. And the theme of these verses, I'd say, would be hope. So hope in what, um, in what Jesus has done for us being now and hope for the future. Maturity, so growing up in their relationship um, with God and their understanding of God and identity. Okay, so we've established the context. We're going to now slow down enough to notice. So let's uh, read together. Starting from verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience." And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's going to be a meaty one. (laughs) Okay. All right, so let's, uh, let's start with verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Anytime you see the start of a sentence like that, so for this reason, or therefore, or so, or so that, it's always referring back to what was said before. So this letter was originally written in like continuous prose, and it was later divided into verses and chapters. So it's original, in its original form, it's been written to flow. So if we remember back to last week, um, verse 8 landed by Paul saying to Epaphras, uh, Paul saying that Epaphras had told Paul all about the love that the um, Colossians had for one another in the Spirit. So he starts off verse 9 by basically saying, and I'm going to paraphrase, from the moment that we heard how beautifully you are loving each other, we haven't stopped praying for you. Paul is just, he's so encouraged. He is so encouraged and he's just so heartened 
by what he's hearing, and he can't help but pray for them. And he's not just praying for them and just saying, oh, thanks, God. He's asking God for more. And this is what Paul is praying for. We're continually asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Other translations um, translate this as the knowledge of what he wants for you through all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So Paul is saying God wants to fill you so that you know everything that he desires for you, every way that he wants to work and move in your life. And he's going to fill you with that knowledge through all wisdom and spiritual understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just remember the context for this letter. This is a new church. Heresies are starting to creep in that are threatening the truth of the gospel. So heresy is basically things that are not true of God. And all heresy detracts from the person and work of Jesus. So Paul is praying that the Colossians would have a level of wisdom and understanding that cannot come from anywhere else other than Jesus to be able to navigate around these heresies. And the wisdom... As we, wisdom as we would see it is the ability to make good decisions, to make good judgments about things, yeah? So Paul's saying here, all wisdom. So he's, ta- he's saying, take, yes, take the natural level of ability that comes from, with making good decisions and judgments and together also with the wisdom that can only come from God. The wisdom of God is direction from God to see his plans and purposes fulfilled. It's a higher level of wisdom that you can't have without God. If we look at uh, Psalm 119, uh, it's the longest psalm in the Bible, so it's more nearer to the end. It says, I have become wiser than the wise old sages simply by doing what you tell me. So Paul is praying for them to have all wisdom, both natural and God-given, as well as understanding that they would be able to distinguish what will help them grow and what will harm their growth. All right, so let's... uh, Oh, I've neglected my slides. Here we go. So that was verse 9. Here we go. Okay, verse 10 in the blue. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every good way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. So let's just take the first part of that verse. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? That phrase, live a life, in the original language, refers to the way that you conduct yourself. So Paul's basically saying here, we're we're praying that you're going to conduct yourselves and live your lives in such a way that is worthy of God. Hang on a minute. I thought you said that we're not into behavior modification, but we're into heart transformation. So isn't Paul talking about behavior modification here? In one sense... Yes, he is. But the behavior change is the fruit of the heart transformation by the Holy Spirit. 
And the fruit of heart, is, of heart transformation here is all about identity. It's knowing with absolute certainty who God says you are, what his will is for your life, growing and allowing the Holy Spirit to actively shape you into a mature follower of Jesus. Growing in wisdom and understanding looks like his thoughts becoming our thoughts, where who he says we are becoming what we think of ourselves, doing what we see him doing. And this will ultimately lead to a different behavior. This is the activity of God's work working in our lives to lead us into transformation. Okay. What does Paul mean by the way we live our lives being worthy of the Lord? What he's basically saying here is that when we, conduct, when we start to conduct ourselves in a way that reflects our identity of God and rem- in God, and remember that is a fruit of heart transformation, that is not like a grim, gritted striving, it points back to God. It points back to God. And please him in every way. So if you remember from what Chris said last week, Paul began this letter talking about family. God is father. We are brothers and sisters. We have been set in family. We, uh, we all have it inbuilt in us, a, uh, a deep longing for our dads to be pleased with us, right? Right? Still alive, good. <laughs> good. Um, at the core of who we are, We want our dads to be pleased with us. We want our dads to be proud of us, to be cheering loud and proud over our lives and shouting, that's my boy, that's my girl. That is built in us because it's how God intended all along, that we would live in his pleasure, that we would live in his delight as our father when the way that we live and the way that we act reflects him and everything that he's made us to be. So Paul's saying here to the Colossians, live your life in such a way that you reflect him and in such a way that you know his pleasure in everything that you do. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, in, uh, in John 15, uh, which is one of the Gospels in the New Testament, Jesus uses the analogy of a grapevine and says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And there is something so key about maturity that Paul is going after here, that when his thoughts become our thoughts, when we believe and understand who he says we are, and that, we, and, and that becomes what we think of our st- ourselves, and when we start doing what we see him doing, we start to grow up. That's what maturity is. It's just it's growing up. Yeah. All right. You okay? Yeah. Told you it was meaty. <laughs> Okay, verse 11. This is good. Being strengthened with all power 
according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. I I don't know about you, anyone else read that and think, man, I need that. So let's remember a bit of context here. In the day and age that Paul is writing, um, spiritual power was a really key issue. People were seeking power through connections with various gods and goddesses and pagan rituals in order to protect themselves uh, from evil spirits and also to help them become wealthy and influential. And uh, if you remember, the theme of this letter is the all-sufficiency of Jesus, the enoughness of Jesus. So Paul is saying here in this prayer, all the strength that you could possibly need comes from the power of God's glory in Jesus. Now, what is God's glory? I couldn't, like, I couldn't not go, take a little bit of a rabbit hole in this. Um, God's glory is often described as like a weighty sense of his presence, his nearness, but that is more talking about what God's glory feels like and how we might experience it. Uh, Probably one of the best definitions of glory that I could find um, is credited to John Piper. Now, John Piper described, in, in in attempting to define glory, says it's a bit like attempting to define beauty. So if I was to ask you now, what is beauty? Each one of you would most likely give me a very, very different answer. Because for one of you, beauty might be vibrant colours. For one of you, another one of you, beauty might be in nature. Another one of you, beauty might be in music or, yeah, do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's so hard to, like, nail down a definition of a word that actually encompasses, like, a concept And God's glory is quite similar in that way. So John Piper's definition, which I love, and and I will pull it apart um, a bit as well. The glory of God is the public display of the beauty of his holiness. I'm going to say that again. If you want to write it down, go for it. The glory of God is the public display of the beauty of his holiness. So if you remember... Holy means set apart. So God's characteristics and his qualities of perfection and greatness and worth are set apart in a whole other league. There is no one else like him. So his glory is the beautiful essence of all of his characteristics, of all of his values and his virtues, everything of who he is made tangibly real and visible to us. So Paul is praying here that they will be given all possible strength that can only come from the power that resides in God's glory. And that power is one of the characteristics of God. And that power is then going to make that strength tangibly real and visible in their lives. In the the original language, that word power is um, dunamis. It's where we get our English noun dynamic from. Uh, And uh, the definition uh, of dynamic as a noun is it identifies a force that stimulates change 
or progress. So this is why we say that God's word has the power to change lives. It is an active force that stimulates change. And interestingly, in the same word translated as miracles throughout the New Testament, God's miracle-working power is a force that stimulates change. And we saw that in Jamie, right? So the strength that comes from God's power actively working in their lives, in our lives, will lead to this visible change. They will have complete patience through various trials, becoming steadfast and joyful. It was, um, it was quite a dangerous thing to become a follower of Jesus in the ancient world. So every city or town had numerous local gods and goddesses um, that were considered inhabitants of the town as much as the people. So they were worshipped, uh, they were, sacrifices from, were made to them in, as a way to like, keep them sweet. Um, because natural disasters or just bad things that happened were attributed to those local gods being displeased. So they wanted to try and keep them peace, uh, keep them sweet so that uh, nothing bad happened. So if you can imagine this gr- group of people in Colossae who've decided to follow the one true God, following one God through Jesus, it left them in a pretty vulnerable position because they were often blamed whenever bad things happened. They were the group of people who weren't worshipping the local gods and the goddesses and taking, um, uh, taking part in, in rituals. And so, like all, any bad thing that happened, any um, natural disaster um, or like a bad year in crops, blamed on them. It's highly likely that the Christians in Colossae were blamed for the earthquake that destroyed their town. So these words that Paul is writing here, whether at the time of writing the earthquake had already happened or it's about to happen, is incredibly poignant for what they're about to face. Patience and endurance. Other translations collect those words up and put them under the umbrella word, hope. So uh, Paul is praying here that the power of God that rests on them would enable them to hold on to hope when things get tough. I, uh, I love this, uh, this quote from Alan Scott. He's got, an amazing, um, he's got an amazing teaching on uh, power in adversity. And uh, this is uh, one of the things that he says in it. He says, I'm not in the hands of a bad moment in culture or a bad moment in history. I am in the hands of a good God who loves me and who is for me. And this is the maturity that Paul is praying over the Colossians, that the power of God will continue to affect change, to bring their lives into alignment with their identity in God, in his ways as sons and daughters in his kingdom. And it's out of that place that they will be empowered to hope when life gets sticky. Okay, let's move on to verse 12. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Essentially, 
Paul is saying, guys, you have been qualified as heirs in God's kingdom. This is definitely something to get excited and to be thankful about. He's again bringing them back to their identity. God's holy people in the kingdom of light, he's referring to the moment that we give our yes to Jesus, where we are taken out of a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, where we are made sons and daughters of God, qualified by God's grace, which is his undeserved gift to us, to be heirs of his inheritance. Oh, how good is this? So what's the inheritance we get? The inheritance that we have as sons and daughters of God is vast. It's complete forgiveness of sins. It's joy. It's sonship. It's freedom. It's holiness. It's access to the Father through Jesus. Those are just a very, very few. That's some of the inheritance that we have now. And then there's an inheritance that we get at the end. When we stand face to face with Jesus... And all of the tears are wiped from our eyes. All of the pain is washed away. And we stand basking in the glory of his presence. And we get to participate in a new world, a new heaven and earth that God is going to create as part of his kingdom becoming fully manifest. So Chris mentioned last week, we talk about the kingdom of God being here and also not yet here in all of its fullness. Paul's reminding them that right now they can begin to anticipate the fullness of their inheritance that's coming. Another way to put it is like it's hope rushing forward into the present. And that's something definitely worth thanking God about for, right? And, uh, and joyfully too. I was um, really struck reading this about how often um, I am full of joy and gratitude to God for my inheritance. And I don't know about you, but as I was reading this, I thought, you know what? I don't think I, I don't think I live in that often and often enough. How much more joy would we experience in our lives on a day-to-day basis if we? allowed hope to like slap us around the face as it rushed forward from the future into the into the present I would really encourage you to sit on that for a while just another time to allow that to sink in to let joy rise up we've been given an inheritance in God the king of kings the lord over all the earth that Jesus has paid for and then given to us all right Verses 13 and 14, I'm going to bring these two together. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, as Paul is writing this, he has the exodus from Egypt in mind here. Do you remember that? So Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. They crossed through the Red Sea, the sea parted to allow them to cross through and, uh, and towards the promised land. So he's reminding this heavily non-Jewish church that they are God, also God's chosen people. 
that because of Jesus, both Jews and non-Jews get to share in the fulfillment of that rescue story. And the rescue story is that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is a transfer in the spiritual realm, a crossing over from the kingdom of darkness, that's Satan, to the kingdom of light where Jesus rules and reigns with God. Now, let's just quickly look at what redemption meant back then, because I think often we can look at that word and go, whoa, Christianese maybe. Uh, redemption as a, as a word and a concept was actually a really, really secular word back then. It was like an everyday concept. And it was most often used to refer to the freedom, uh, to freeing of slaves. And, uh, and it incorporates four characteristics. So the first thing it incorporates is bondage. So that's where someone or something has limited or no freedom. A rescuer, so someone who would secure freedom for someone or something in bondage. And that usually carried a price tag. The price tag, number three, was called a ransom, which was paid to cancel the bondage that existed. And finally, freedom. The bondage was removed and the person or object was restored back to its original freedom. Can you notice that? Redemption is primarily concerned with the restoration of an original state or what was once available. It's not about bringing a newness of experience or situation. It's about restoring back to what was once was. So Paul's reminding the Colossians here that they have been restored back to their identity as originally designed, of being in right family relationship with God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Anyone else's head just going right now? Okay, so let's come into land. We're just going to recap the themes in these verses. So the first one, Paul prays that they will grow in maturity, that they're going to grow up in God. And that looks like the Holy Spirit filling them so that they understand what God wants for them and that the activity of God in them would be evident by how they live and what they do. Number two, he prays that they would be strengthened in their hope in God. This is the strength that comes from God's power actively working in their lives to um, empower them to patience, steadfastness, that's hope, and enjoying God in the face of trials. That as they anticipate the fullness of God's rule and reign coming and the share that they have in that new kingdom, that they would be moved to gratitude, they'd be moved to thankfulness. And then the last one, He reminds them of their identity in Jesus, that they have been restored back into family relationship with God the Father as sons and daughters, that they're no longer living in darkness, they are now living in the light. And he prays that spiritual understanding and wisdom would lead to them knowing what God wants for their lives, that they are who God says they are, and that would produce fruit that pleases God. All right. You okay? Yeah? yeah. yeah? Oh, it's meaty stuff. Do you, want, do you guys want to stand? I'm going to pray.
Father, I thank you that as that we get we have the opportunity to uh, read this letter that Paul has written to the Colossians and and see where you are speaking to us. And I thank you, Father God, that uh, for everyone who has said yes to you, that you, there has been a transfer where we have been pulled out of darkness and we have been placed into light. Where you say to us, you are in people of the light. You have been set apart for me. You've been brought back to your, the original design of, how, of who I made you to be. And we just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org, or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.